Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. So Kate could learn how to speak, not with the Dorset accent, but with a lime accent. I suppose that's the kind of ear for detail, eye for detail that wins Oscars. We've taken over 100,000 people fossil hunting. One of the things I love about my job is uh, the most complicated tool I use is a bit of metal on the end of a stick. This week we're in the quaint and historic resort of Lyme Regis on the southwest coast of Britain, 150 miles, that's 240 kilometres from London. Lyme, as the locals call it, is the fossil-finding capital of Europe. Normally, I think it's fair to say that for most of us, Paleontology, the study of fossils, doesn't necessarily set the pulses racing. But the release this autumn of a major romantic movie directed by Francis Lee, starring Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan, is about to thrust Lyme into the limelight once again. Yes, the town's no stranger to celebrity status. Back in the 1980s, Meryl Streep's Oscar-nominated portrayal of John Fowle's book The French Lieutenant's Woman did wonders for tourism here. And now... Ammonite tells the story of impoverished fossil hunter Mary Anning, who in the early 1800s became a celebrity because of her remarkable discoveries. The movie centres on her supposed love affair with the geologist Charlotte Murchison, wife of a fox-hunting army officer. Charlotte was someone from the extreme opposite end of the social spectrum. It appears that anyone visiting Lyme can, with a bit of luck, just pick up a giant 160 million year old shrimp from a puddle on the beach and take it home with them. Finding the petrified parts of an actual dinosaur takes a lot more skill, but this does actually happen. Not for nothing is this stretch of seaside known as the Jurassic Coast, a designated UNESCO World Heritage Site. To find out what makes fossils sexy, we're going in search of David Tucker, director of Lyme Regis Museum, and his fossil hunter in residence, Paddy Howe. Now, Paddy acted as Kate Winslet's guide and technical mentor throughout the filming last year. But first, let's take a closer look at our surroundings. So here's the cob, the old wall that protects the fishing boats and yachts at anchor in the harbour. It's a small place. Population is less than 4,000 people. Let's take a walk down here. It's really beautiful. The scenery is gorgeous with the cliffs on one side and then the beach Really long stretch of beach, some nice old houses. There's the odd, unfortunately ruined by modern plastic buckets and spades and things. Otherwise, you could be in the 19th century still. Yeah, you feel not a lot has changed, really, especially around the cop. There are people right now I see walking along the edge of it, and the weather's quite stormy today. It's pretty dangerous to stand up where Merrill stood for some hours, it looks like, in the, in the movie. I, I suspect it was a double doing it. But, uh, Felix, why don't you uh, climb those stone steps there? They look a bit wet. Be a bit careful. Tell me what you can see when you get to the top. Well, I went up the steps and didn't go onto the cob itself because it looks so slippery and slimy and the waves are actually coming right across it. So I don't fancy going on it. And apparently someone died not that long ago. They were swept into the water by a wave. And uh, the wave then came back and uh, crushed them against the, against the cob, and that was that. So you do have to be a bit careful. Uh, too many people have seen the movie and want to uh, uh, re- revisit the scene, but I think it's one to be quite wary of. 
So let's walk down the beach towards the museum. Lots of seagulls. And then there's a little old theatre right next to the museum. And it's a really pretty place. Lots of atmosphere. Yeah, it's much smaller and much steeper than I imagine. The main street going up is, is really quite a bit of a climb. Some nice shops and lots of really nice seafood restaurants too. Yeah, seafood's a big thing for me. And you. <laughs> Let's go and uh, cook some of dinner. But first of all, we need to go and find David and Paddy. So David, it's extraordinary how much Lyme Regis has changed in recent decades. Well, the the uh, museum and Lyme has changed hugely in about the last 15 to 30 years. I mean, obviously, where we are in the museum, it's pretty much doubled in size since 2017, which has been an interesting challenge. But the town itself has significantly changed uh, since the 1990s with the extension in the sea defences. Yes, a little bit earlier than that, there was John Fowle's book, The French Lieutenant's Woman, which was set here. And then the movie with the unforgettable scene of Meryl Streep standing alone and mysterious on the storm-lashed cob, the old harbour wall. John's book was written in the late 60s uh, and the film was made in 81 to 82. Of course, as you may or may not know, John worked here. Uh, He was honorary curator of the the museum for many years and I I have his chair in my office. It's it's a bit battered after 30-odd years, but I just think if if I've got a great author's chair, I'm going to keep that one. So... Lime was sort of, as it were, rediscovered in many ways culturally by the book. But now that Mary Anning is on the school curriculum and, of course, there's films coming out about her, uh, uh, that we've sort of rediscovered Lime's primary role as the home of paleontology. Yes, it was the place that time forgot, but now time has absolutely rediscovered, I think. Well, I'm often asked, what is it about a place like Lime and why has it done so well in recent years? And, and I actually think that the world changed with the making of the film Jurassic Park. Special effects now enable us all to see what we think dinosaurs would have looked like. When I was a kid in the 60s and early 70s, one looked at a black and white drawing in a book. And, you know, I actually think, you know, the whole series of films, the BBC TV series like Walking with Dinosaurs, a good 15, 20 years back now, really just change the rules and and I'm sure that's fed into why dinosaurs and paleontology is so popular again. So when did Mary Anning go onto the school curriculum? Was that recent? I think it was probably about 2015-16 time. So you have groups of school children that come here to the museum? Oh yes, well under normal conditions we do. Although we're not a big museum physically, we do like to point out that we've got the biggest museum gallery in England, which is Mary Anning's Beach. And we're, I think I'm told that we're the most visited museum by schools in Dorset. And what we do with a lot of those groups is take them out onto the beach uh, and they get a chance to fossil hunt and learn about the conditions under which Mary Anning worked and lived. In fact, the museum is built on the site of her house. Of course, the film, which I'm told, has some red-hot romantic scenes between the two women, may not be exactly what every primary school teacher was to explain to his or her class. Well, I think the film is one that little children won't be able to see, shall we say. We're absolutely relaxed about the film. We were scientific advisors on the film. One of our team, who's a line-born woman, was the guide for uh, Kate Winslet's accent, and they spent a great deal of time together learning so Kate could learn how to speak, not with the Dorset accent, but with a Lyme accent. I suppose that's the kind of ear for detail, eye for detail, that wins Oscars. So uh, we also made sure that, well, Paddy, how one of our 
really good geologists made sure that Kate Winslet knew how to crack open a rock and find a fossil and look like she did it every day. That's not easy. No, no, no. But, you know, uh, she, she took it in a stride. <laughs> So can people find fossils on the beach nowadays? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the reasons we are a World Heritage Site is because a constant erosion of the rocks means that as the rocks erode inwards, you simply can find the same fossils now that people would have found 200 years ago. It's as a result of, uh, of coastal erosion. So as the rocks were the same age, you can find fossils of the same age. The director, Francis Lee, he was a really nice man, came here and did a fossil walk. It must have been about two and a half years ago. And my geologist, Paddy, and I had a long conversation with him. And he asked us to keep quiet about the project. So we did. And then and then a few months later, on, uh, I met one of, the, uh, one of the producers and gave him a bit of help with locations, you know, and... Uh, if you work with the film industry or within the media companies, as I'm sure you'll know, they ask you to sign the little bit of paper that says you'll keep quiet. We signed them about three years after we knew the project was on. So what can we see in the museum relating to Mary Anning, apart from fossils? and Well, Mary Anning was a poor woman and very little of that which she owns survives. We have two or three fossils in the museum that are on loan and uh, they are fossils that we know that Mary discovered. We also have fossils that were discovered by a lady called Elizabeth Philpott who's, who again is portrayed in the film, a very interesting and very important fossil hunter in her own right whose family paid for this building and whose collections are in Oxford uh, Museum of Natural History. But when it comes to things that Mary actually owned, the only things that we know of other than her fossils are letters and uh, what's called a commonplace book that belongs to uh, our neighbours at, at Dorset County Museum. So tell us, for the benefit of people who don't know about Mary Anning, who was she and when was she born and how did she become world famous? Well, she became famous, of course, after her death, but uh, she was born in 1799, basically where we're standing. And she and her elder brother, in fact, her elder brother was a key part of this as well. They they famously found an ichthyosaur skull on the beach in, or I'll get the date wrong, I think it's 1811, when she was only about 11 or 12. That's a bit like a crocodile. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, people thought they were like crocodiles. Actually, they're much more like fish. If you Google ichthyosaur, if you can spell it, it's not easy, <laughs> you know, you'll find out what they look like. They are giant marine reptiles from the Jurassic period. So they're big and fierce like dinosaurs, but they're not land living. So they're not actually dinosaurs. And, and the rocks around here are full of the fossils of these creatures. And that's what Mary discovered. And uh, what was lucky uh, was, of course, people would have been discovering these things all the time. But in previous times, there wouldn't have been the perception in what was developing the world of science that these th what these things were. People would have thought in the past that they were dragons or one idea about the curly ammonite was it is a snake that bit in its own tail. You know, so Mary was finding fossils at the time when I suppose you could put it and say that the age of the earth, as in biblical terms, was being challenged by scientists and indeed by many clergymen, because many of the early scientists were in fact clergymen who used their spare time to record the wonders of God's universe and God's world and then discovered things that didn't fit into the Bible. So it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting process and perhaps nowhere near as antagonistic as one might think from what one reads today. So Mary was a local girl. She oh, grew yes. up at Bournia, right as you say, where we're standing. And uh, she grew up in a, an impoverished family? or uh, Well, yes. Her, uh, her father was a carpenter. They were... Only two out of, I think, their nine children survived, Mary and, jo uh, Mary and her brother Joseph. Their father died, I think, would have been about 1809. 
after a bad fall on Black Fen, Black Fen, which is a cliff to the east of the town, where he was looking for fossils. But reading what little we have of the history of, of, of Richard Anning, her father, it may have been that there was some other chronic disease that he was suffering from as well. So basically, the Annings were left pretty poor. They'd lost their main trade, which was... Richard's carpentry but the family always found curios as people called fossils then and sold them to the tourists that came here. And there were quite a lot of tourists then it was quite a seaside well resort. yeah it's interesting in that uh, uh, in that this is the kind of place that gets mentioned in, in Jane Austen books people coming here to recover after the season in Bath but I think what also one needs to remember is that there was a war going on. So many of the gentlemen and ladies, well, I suppose the gentlemen who would have do, done the European tour couldn't do it. So bit like now, a bit like now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so uh, we, we can assume a lot of people that perhaps learned people that perhaps would have done Europe as part of their growing up and their being introduced to culture would have perhaps come to Lyme as well. David, thank you very much. Now, before we meet up with Paddy, let's pop next door to the Marine Theatre. It played a supporting role in Ammonite and Gabby Rabbit from the theatre is going to tell us all about it. used the Marine Theatre as uh, the canteen and also the wardrobe and makeup department. So for a good couple of weeks, we were full of all of the costumes and hats uh, and all the extras. Local people would come and come in their ordinary clothing and then reappear dressed, ready for the Mary Anning film. So it was wonderful. And whilst they were all here, they'd use Theatre Square to relax. And so as I glanced out of my office window, I'd see all the extras gathered having their sandwiches and whatnot in full costume. It was wonderful. It was very exciting to be part of the film. The town was full of excitement when all of the big lorries and all the film crews were here. So it was really special for us to be involved. Are you going to have a screening of the film here in the theatre? We very much hope to have a screening of the film. Like I say, with so many local people playing a part and being extras and so much of their time was spent being involved with the film, it would be lovely to have a screening. It would be nice to have more than one. We'd like to have a week, ideally. The theatre first emerged in 1806 as a uh, saltwater bathhouse. It was right above the ocean, so they could pump the water up from the ocean straight into these enormous baths where people would come and loll around in the water as a cure for their ailments. So that's how the building first um, appeared. Then it changed into a sort of drill hall, a drill hall theatre. It's had lots of different uses, a cinema. But we've had the stage and we have been having entertainment on stage for 125 years. We celebrated our 125th anniversary anniversary this year just gone with a very special performance with Surrey and McKellen. It was, it was a great year. Many thanks, Gabby, and we wish the theatre well for the next 125 years. Now at last, here's Paddy Howe, no doubt back from yet another day searching the beach. As I said earlier, Paddy was the fossil hunting coach for Kate Winslet, who plays Mary Anning in the film. Paddy, what did this exactly involve? Um, just making sure that the you have the right fossils in the right place, that everything looks right, the right sort of tools, uh, all of those things. So we've never been fossiling. Can you tell us a bit about it, how you do it? Sure. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's fairly simple, really. So most of the time it's walking around, looking at the ground. So you're just looking, uh, but you're looking for things which are not everything else. You're looking for those things which are, are different to everything else. So you're looking for symmetry, uh, regular shapes, uh, repeating patterns, things like that. And most things we find are actually just just, just 
just laying about on the ground. We also learn to recognise particular rocks, uh, which we break open, uh, which often uh, contain some of the better fossils. What's been your biggest find, personally? Oh, gosh, that's, <laughs> that, that's a really difficult question. The literal biggest uh, fossil is an ichthyosaur skeleton, uh, which is in the geology gallery, and that's uh, his nicknamed Kevin, and he's 5.6 metres in length. I have found a, a couple of new species of plant, which haven't been described yet, and a new genus and species of crab. It's fascinating. I always thought people went around and sort of attacked the cliffs. You don't touch the cliffs at all. It's on the ground. Not it? at all. Yeah, yeah. Firstly, you would have to get permission to actually uh, excavate into the cliff. Uh, and of course, it's extremely dangerous. We get a lot of rock falls, especially after rain. And most of the best things we find are actually out on the beach itself. Wind and rain and storms. Rain is very useful. It softens up the mud flows that many of the fossils washed out from. So it's easier for the tide to break the mud down after rain and bring things out. Uh, the colours of things stand out when they're wet, they're easier to see. Uh, and of course, the rain keeps everyone else at home. Big waves come in, they tear into the mud flows, tear into the cliff, and they actually bring the fossils out on, onto the beach. So anyone could just go for a walk along the beach and have a look? Yes, absolutely. Pretty much the only, the only tool I use is a hammer most of the time. And that's really for when we find particular rocks called nodules, which often contain fossils. We use the, the hammer then to break those down. If you're going to be hammering, of course, I protect is also essential. And fast forward to Kate Winslet, you had to teach her from scratch how to hunt for fossils and look as if she'd been doing it all her life. Is that difficult? Not really, no. No, no she's very game and uh, it really put a, a, an awful lot of effort in, into it. So, yeah. You had to use the appropriate hammer from the 19th century. <laughs> They haven't really changed very much, to be honest. One of the things I love about my job is the most complicated tool I use is a bit of metal on the end of a stick. So did you watch them actually film it in costume? Yes, I was on sets uh, for some of the time, yes. You weren't in costume yourself? No. (laughs) (laughs) So you weren't an extra in the film? No, no, no. As they say, I've got a face for radio, really. So So how did you become a... You're a trained geologist, are you? Yes, uh, yeah, I have a degree in geology. I've been a geologist here at the museum for 18 years, uh, I think now. But I've been fossiling here since I was six years old, uh, so that's 49 years. So you're locally born? I'm from Taunton, so 28 miles away. Uh, My mother brought me here on a day trip when I was six, and I was hooked straight away. I would get my parents to bring me here as often as possible uh, after that. In my teens, I would cycle the 28 miles from Taunton with my friend Bob. Uh, So we'd cycle down, go fossiling for 10 or 12 hours, and then cycle home with a big bag full of rocks, hopefully, so... So what do you do with the rocks? I mean, you obviously would have rather a large collection at home. Do you sell them? I have sold some, yes. Scientifically important things come to the museum. Anything which is very nice but not necessarily scientifically important forms the bulk of of my collection at home. And I do sell some everyday things that we would see most most of the time. So Mary Anning's been a central figure of your life. Yes, absolutely. An amazing woman to do what she did at that time. You know, women didn't do that sort of thing. So tell us a bit more about what you know about Mary. She came from a a very humble background. Very, very poor. Richard Anning, her father, used to collect fossils and I think showed Mary how to do some of that. Uh, But of course, she went on to make bigger and better discoveries. Yeah, it was very much a male preserve at that time. Also, of course, today we have the benefit of some modern clothing. We have you know, waterproof clothes, Wellingtons. Mary was probably dressed in woolen clothes, things like that. If it's raining, it's going to get very heavy and wet. She's depicted with a basket over uh, her arm. It wouldn't take long if that was full of rocks over your arm for you to, to be in some considerable pain. We have you know rucksacks and all, all the modern kit. And with the long dress, she wouldn't have been able to move very well. It must have made it very, very difficult indeed. Assuming, of course, those depictions are, are correct. So do you get many women fossil hunters, or is it a male preserve? It still tends to be mostly men. But we are seeing more and more women coming to it, and more and more female students coming to it, which is, is, is great. And there's no reason, of course, why, why that shouldn't be. Presumably, it can be a dangerous occupation at times, because those cliffs are 
really unstable, aren't they? It's not without risk, of course. But yes, uh, we generally keep well away from the cliffs. But there are also a lot of slippery rocks. There are areas uh, of very sticky mud and people do get stuck on occasion. If you're hammering a lot, sooner or later, you're going to catch one of your, your fingers. You know, it's an occupational hazard. So, Paddy, what do you think about this new romantic take on Mary's relationship with her fellow geologist? I don't really have an opinion about that. Just another take on the life of, of, of a fantastic woman. And she was never really recognised in her own lifetime, was she? She wasn't allowed to, to join a lot of the uh, sort of more prestigious uh, associations and societies. And that's just the way it was at the time, sadly. But she um, made a living from selling her discoveries. Yes, absolutely, yes. Uh, because with the advent of the coaching trade, you know, got more uh, sort of tourists, more people coming to the area. She was very much in the right place at the right time. Well, I think we're going to see a, a huge increase in the number of people who see it as a hobby now. Well, we have done in, in recent years. So every time there's a, a new Jurassic Park film, you know, we see a spike in, in, in numbers of people. Used to be, you know, in the winter, I could go along the beach and not see anybody all day. Um, that hardly ever happens now. So you run fossil hunting tours of the beach? Yeah, I run the fossil walks uh, for the museum and I'm out there probably about 220 days a year. We always find something. I don't think we've ever had anybody didn't find a fossil. We've taken over 100,000 people fossil hunting. Can people do the same on other beaches or is it just this area? I mean, we live near Bournemouth, for example. Could you go to Bournemouth Beach and look for fossils? You probably wouldn't want to be on the main beach there, but there are beaches around where you would find fossils, uh, younger fossils, I mean, that we find here. So uh, things of the Eocene period, you know, around 50 million years old and there's an awful lot of places on the coast of britain where you can find fossils uh, it's just Lyme just really has the has the reputation so so people tend to flock to this area and in other countries would you ever look for a fossil there in other countries the rules are often stricter than they are here so we're very lucky uh, the rules here are extremely lenient um, but of course actually what you're doing is saving the fossils because if we don't collect them because it's a coastal exposure the sea will destroy them all that's interesting. So in the end, they just disappear, will they? Yeah, they'll get eroded away, the same as the rocks surrounding them. Uh, often, you know, things we find are bits of things because they're already being, they're in the process of being destroyed. So when you get a cliff fall, then the next storm takes that out to sea. Yeah, so rocks and mud may fall. Um, the next couple of tides will start to spread that over the beach and eventually it'll be dispersed. Yeah, and things in it will, be just, will just be ground away to nothing. So when you chip away at a pebble, do you have to be very careful not to break the fossil inside? Sometimes the, the fossils are softer than, than the surrounding rock, and, and that can make it difficult. Uh, you need to, to learn to break them in the right way. And uh, I bumped into a chap a few years ago. We'd found a, a lovely uh, ammonite fossil um, in a stone. And he'd learned to, to recognise the right sort of stone, but hadn't learned how to break it and, of course, smash the thing to pieces. So did Kate Winslet find anything of interest while you were filming? Yes, yeah, we've, we found uh, yeah, quite a few things, a uh, little... Metal ammonites made of iron pyrite, and uh, also Kate found a fragment of the, the skull of an ichthyosaur. She got to get, take it home with her, or yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, make it into a piece of jewellery or something, whatever. Um, it's probably not. It's not a pretty thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a part of the back of a skull. It was a genuine find. She found that herself. Andy, many thanks indeed, and good hunting. So, please, do you fancy a bit of fossil hunting this afternoon? Uh, yeah, as long as it doesn't rain um, and we're warmly dressed, it sounds quite fun. It takes quite a long time to learn, I should think. I have no idea where to start, but I'm sure Paddy will be very helpful. Yeah, I think we need Paddy's help here. I don't think we can do this on our own. Yeah, it's amazing to think that there could almost everything we're stepping on might have a fossil in it. Well, it might do. I think actually it's now going to rain, so maybe we should come back and do this on another day. Okay, well, there are lots of nice things to do here when it is raining. There's some very nice shots. And more important, there's some very nice restaurants, and so I think we'll go and have lunch. That's all for now. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please do visit our website, actionpackedtravel.com, or subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peteranfelice at gmail.com. That's peteranfelice F-E-L-I-C-E at gmail.com And I am you And you are me It's just a crazy storm